Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened this past week in the world of WWE. Still a few weeks left before 2022 comes to its conclusion and we still have plenty of time before the Royal Rumble in late January 2023, which means, yeah, things are a little bit slow right now in the world of WWE, but don't you worry, we're gonna break down everything that happened this week across SmackDown, Raw, and beyond on today's show. Before we kick things off, before we fully get started, allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defiance. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and this show, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, hitting us up with those five-star ratings on Apple, Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, polls, news, analysis, funny stuff, whatever. You know, follow us on Twitter. We will, if it has to do with professional wrestling, we will deliver it to you. Now, Chris, welcome to the show. It has been quite a day for us so far. Uh, Spurned on further by a breaking news headline that dropped just before we started recording this podcast from the Wall Street Journal. WWE's Vince McMahon faces fresh demands from women alleging sexual abuse. Actions come as wrestling company board assesses damage caused by the former CEO's secret hush packs. So Chris, just as we thought we were fully out of the Vince McMahon drama, guess what? We're pulled right back in. And this story, you know, obviously it's a Wall Street Journal story. It's behind a paywall. So you guys can uh, check it out for yourselves. But the basis of the story is that there are two women who allege sexual abuse and assault uh, from Vince McMahon, one of whom, Rita Chatterton, uh, is suing him for $12 million in damages. She publicly accused McMahon of raping her years ago. Um, decades ago, I'm sorry, I should say, I think like in 1986 or something like that. Very, very long time ago. Uh, And she's now suing him for $12 million in damages. And that came through a demand letter uh, that was sent to his lawyer on November 3rd. And there is a second woman who previously did not um, accuse Vince of any type of sexual assault or abuse, who is also suing him for damages. And of course, this all comes in the wake of all the hush money payments that McMahon allegedly used funds to pay while in his chairman role with WWE. That, of course, led to his ouster. Technically, he retired and resigned from his position. But nevertheless, that is um, the reason why Vince McMahon uh, left WWE, those initial hush money payments. Now, Chris, you know, we there's not much for us to talk about, right, regarding um, these accusations. Again, we've known about Chatterton's accusations for quite a long time. We do not have any details, of course, of the new one. What we do know is that it happened at a California resort, allegedly, of course, in 2011. And the accusation is that McMahon assaulted 
uh, spa manager who is now formerly uh, in that position. So, you know, there's not much for us to speak about. McMahon, of course, is no longer with WWE. But as part of this Wall Street Journal reporting, allow me to read a singular paragraph. The 77-year-old Mr. McMahon has also told people that he intends to make a comeback at WWE, according to the people familiar with his comments. He has said that he received bad advice from people close to him to step down, and that he now believes the allegations and investigations would have blown over had he stayed, these people said. Chris, I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, he can intend to make a comeback all he wants. The WWE board is not going to allow him to make a comeback. Uh, The stock price is up, I believe, 15% since he retired and resigned his position. And there's no need for him whatsoever to be back with the company. And he, yes, he still remains the majority shareholder, but there's only so much power he can actually wield. Beyond that, clearly the allegations and investigations are not blown over because guess what? He's now being sued by two other people. So look, um, there's someone else uh, in the political zeitgeist for whom these expectations from McMahon resemble. Let's put it that way. That's probably the best way I can do it. Um, So I'm not surprised that a 77-year-old man who's used to power still has wealth and has, you know, still a level of fame would think that he could just waltz back into the company. I see 0.0% chance of that happening. Yeah, look... When we last talked about this a few months ago, the reporters for the Wall Street Journal said that there was going to be more. They said that they, they this is obviously isn't the end of it. There, there's more stories that they're working on. More people tend to come out when this happens. Uh, New York Magazine did an interview about the, the Reader Chatterton uh, incident earlier this year. Uh, Greg, mm-hmm. I think Greg Valentine uh, w- was involved as well in terms of being yeah. the person that she told about it and, not, and believing not great her and comments from uh, not great comments from Greg the Hammer Valentine on on that situation. Yeah. It, so <laughs> in in you know as a as, as far as this other spa manager one the story notes that uh that the spa manager told her husband about the incident he drove to the WWE event with a baseball bat and tried to confront confront McMahon but he was turned away according to these people uh according to the Wall Street Journal story. So yeah, look, there was always going to be more it there's always just like when the first one came out is like there was going to be more these are not these right. are never isolated incidents people typically they don't have these track vacuum. records yeah, yeah they don't happen in a vacuum people have these uh different situations and let's be clear about what we're saying we're not saying that just because accusations or lawsuits come later means they're any less valid or anything like that it's just usually when something does pop and get um, not just attention in the media, but coverage, I should say, in the media, it allows people who perhaps were more hesitant to come forward about such incidents. It gives them that kind of motivation to say, hey, oh, it didn't just happen to me. Perhaps my story and my experiences can be of some benefit, not only to their case, but to me actually getting justice for what happened to me. So, you know, just to clarify, none of this is, is saying that there's anything wrong, of course, with these two women, uh, well, one woman com- coming forward, another woman uh, in Rita Chatterton, you know, filing lawsuit for what she feels are deserved monies, damages, really, from years of suffering. She talks about depression, substance abuse, 
eating disorders, losing income, her life being ruined by the situation, all of which would, is completely understandable and, and certainly comes from incidents like the one that she described as having allegedly happened previously. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would say is while Vince is not on air with the company, he's not backstage, he still is running the he still controls the company i don't think we've had any exact details of any other roles he does or doesn't have so he's still very much a part of this uh company well, he's not making and, he's not making any day-to-day decisions for the company i mean do, do we the, know i mean, I mean the, that's what the company said but we don't there has we don't really know it's a private i mean they put themselves they would put themselves as a publicly traded company they would put themselves in serious under the potential yeah. for serious litigation if right. but he it, no it, longer it, has a public facing role or, or private facing role with the company that they claim, then yet he's still making decisions behind the scenes. Right. Which is also, again, the idea of him returning to television is insane. Shouldn't have television returning to a role, it, returning to his creative role is what he was saying. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening, especially no. now. But even before, like you said, because it is a publicly traded company and all these other things. Um, not good. Not good situation. No. And, and just a little bit of a coincidence a Vice TV which does all those Dark Side of the Ring documentaries and all that. They tonight are debuting the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon, brand new documentary, uh, Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. So uh, that is definitely a must watch. Unfortunately, they're debuting it during NXT. I'll have to tape it, uh, but I will try to watch it. And I think you should certainly as well. And we can try to discuss um, next week for our WWE episode in this same space, I guess is the best way to put it. But we do have a lot to talk about in WWE. So let's go ahead and move on. Before we get to the main event, the good, the bad and the ugly, as always, I just Chris wanted to go over a little bit of what we got from SmackDown and Raw this week, uh, because I was largely disappointed, I think is, is fair to say. SmackDown, I thought was another filler episode. There were zero singles matches on the show. Everything was four or six people. Two matches on SmackDown combined for five minutes. Now, the opener went 20, so I'm not saying that there wasn't a lot of wrestling on the show. There was plenty, but when two matches combine for five minutes and you have no singles matches, clearly something isn't going right. Now, there was a bunch of build from last Friday SmackDown for this Friday SmackDown. There's going to be two championship matches, the return of Roman Reigns, and perhaps a big story for Sami Zayn. But I did feel overall that this show was just like last week and that It wasn't bad by any means. It's just that nothing actually felt like it mattered in terms of what we got Friday night. Like I said, a filler episode. Meanwhile, Monday night on Raw, I didn't think it was bad either. But I largely felt it was three hours of relatively boring wrestling television. Like matters weren't helped by an awful Milwaukee crowd. They killed the live atmosphere in the building. And Kevin Patrick's painful commentary, it failed to add any excitement like to the show for fans like us who are watching at home. And yes, this dead crowd deal, it is now a trend with Raw. They were terrible from the start Monday night. They barely popped for anything the entire show. It's one thing to not pop for like a boring segment or wrestlers who aren't over or as over as they should be perhaps. But there were plenty of big moves and plenty of big moments and matches. And Plenty of superstars who are super over everywhere else in the country, just apparently not in Milwaukee. I mean, they were quiet for Kevin Owens, who was over like Rover everywhere. They couldn't even sing Seth Rollins' theme correctly. That's one of the loudest things that we get on (laughs) WWE TV these days. So yes, the Raw crowd in Milwaukee 
was that bad. So yeah, it was just a really disappointing week of TV. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it in totality. It wasn't bad wrestling television. It was just, it, it, it lacked the excitement level that WWE largely has brought over the last few months. Yeah, ever since uh, War Games, it's it's kind of been a downer couple of weeks. A lot of stuff feels like filler. They are, you know, naming some number one contenders, doing a World Cup. There, there is there is some decent mid card stuff going around, but when the bloodline in Roman specifically is so good and so interesting, it kind of sucks up all the oxygen. And then when it's not there. There's just less interest. The crowd on Raw was was terrible, like you said. I've I've got a note about Kevin Patrick for a segment we'll talk okay. about later that was on Raw. And um, yeah, it's kind of what we said last week. Look, there we don't have anything until the Rumble. And and the, you know, they got John Cena coming back for I think SmackDown it is on Christmas Eve or something. The but, final SmackDown, I think, of the year. I yeah, something like that. So there's just there's nothing happening at the top right now when Roman's not there. And Roman hasn't been there, but he will be there. But it's even beyond Roman. And I expect that to be good. I just, they have hyped up Roman being in Chicago now for like a week and a half. So like, that's going to be something. But in the meantime, it's, there's not much. Yeah. And I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but it's not even just about Roman Reigns not being there. Cause guess what? Roman Reigns is never on raw. And a month ago we, I forgot which episode it was, but there was a raw where I think I, in the same spot on the show, I said, man, that three hours Flew by, and that never happens. There's, it almost never happens that a three-hour RAW flies by. Last month, there were SmackDowns back to back. I think where I said, Chris, these are two of the best SmackDowns of the year. Like super entertaining from start to finish, really good wrestling. And again, I'm not saying there wasn't any good wrestling or there weren't some entertaining things that happened on SmackDown and RAW this week because there definitely was. But between the filler episode experience that we got Friday and a just really low energy, boring episode of Raw that we got on Monday. I mean, it was it was a rough watch this week. And, and look, it's not abnormal for WWE to fall off creatively or kind of mail it in creatively during the holiday season before it begins its Royal Rumble push. In fact, yes. it happens every year. It's clockwork. We talk about it all the time. Yep. The problem, though, this time is that there's two months between PLEs. So it's one thing if you like take two or three weeks and it's kind of down, but then you're building up for day one or whatever, you know, night of champions, whatever they used to do in December. Um, It's another thing when you're falling off and you don't have a tentpole event to bring you back up for another, what, six weeks? We're still away from the Royal Rumble. And then on top of that, Chris, I also kind of assumed, you know, faulty assumption, but I assumed, hey, look, all those other periods of time during the holiday season where shit's kind of fallen off, that's Vince McMahon. That's him not caring. Triple H isn't going to let that happen. So he is. He is letting it happen. So I'd say that's another reason why it's particularly disappointing. Yep, I agree. All right. So, Chris, with that, we have two major segments here on our WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We're going to start with the first one, as we always do, which means it is now time for us to slide into the main event. This is the main event. And I will also note, because of everything we just mentioned about SmackDown and Raw, I don't really have a real main event this week. I mean, nothing substantial really happened on either show 
But the one thing that did transverse both brands, of course, was the bloodline. So by default, it gets the spot here in the main event, even though it otherwise likely would not have. Uh, so we'll start with SmackDown. The tag team championship was on the line. The Usos defending against Sheamus and Butch, if you remember, this was supposed to be Sheamus and Drew McIntyre in this spot. But Drew uh, reportedly has a ruptured eardrum and is out of action for a short period of time. But he is indeed expected back sooner than later. That, of course, is good news. Sheamus hit Avalanche White Noise on Jimmy and the same move on the apron. Jay hit his pop-up neckbreaker on Butch, who came back with a double moonsault and a tornado DDT. Butch countered an Avalanche 1D with a sit-down powerbomb out of the corner. Then the faces combined for a really awesome razor's edge falling neckbreaker, like a tag team finisher type of move on Jimmy. Jay broke the fall. Sheamus had a really nasty running knee instead of a bro kick. That got a false finish. Solo Sokoa took out Ridge Holland. Neither of them were in the match. Was spinning Solo, literally delivering the move into the timekeeper's area. So Ridge just disappeared. Jay countered a bro kick with a super kick before Butch ate 1D as Sami Zayn held Sheamus back so he couldn't break the fall. This was a 20-minute opening match. And yes, Sheamus, as you would say, it was an absolute banger. Beyond that, I don't actually have much analysis, right? It was really good wrestling. The expected team won. It was a fun finish that became relatively obvious the second Butch tagged in. Uh, the way it was set up to avoid Sheamus taking the fall with Ridge unable to help, that was smart. It was just extremely solid from start to finish. Couple close calls, a little bit of chaos. I went four stars and an A minus. It really was an entertaining match. A couple things I have on my notes about the beginning of this. One, the Brutes theme, the Brawling Brutes theme, I love it. And I yeah. think it's better than Seamus' theme that he's had for a Ooh, while. I don't, I don't know. I, I like Seamus' theme, but I love this new Brutes theme. And them all coming out together in it instead of Seamus' theme or something like that. Uh, I dug it. Also, I know we all got really sick of Michael Cole saying it's boss time, but mm -hmm. he seems to be having a lot of fun saying that it's fight night. And yeah. every week it feels like he's getting louder and louder and more into it every single time. <laughs> and I just, I dig it. I look forward to it. It is it, fun. Third, I really want one of those bloodline hats. They are not available on the shop. Uh, I cannot find them. They, they, they've had, a, I think, a black one with red and white and a red one with black letters. That's just like the old English B and L for bloodline. It's awesome. I want one of those hats. I don't know where to find them. If anybody knows. So you're not saying them, the one that's like flat script, the, the one that's flat font. You're saying like a uh, more stylistic version. Yeah. Because they have the flat font that says the bloodline and we the ones yes. on it. On they have that one. Not that one. It's just like, an, it's like the Detroit Tigers logo. It's like a B and an L for bloodline. I, yeah, I they got to make I don't that. Know where it, they do. I, if anybody, if anybody knows, they don't keep hats on the shop very often. There's an old Usos hat I wanted to get. Can't really mm -hmm. find it. If anybody well, finds the WWE hat, shop is now know. part of Fanatics, so that's probably yeah. going to change where a lot of it's yeah. going to get print to order. Um, what was one of them black and white? The hat that you're talking about? Yes, I think there was a black okay. one with white lettering, and then they have the red one with black lettering. Because I'm very much a hat wearer, and that one sounds nice, black and white. Like, yeah, you know, there was go one. Look, I forgot go look, go look up it. the segment, and you'll notice it. I, I think it's I it's Jimmy who wears them. There was someone on WWE TV recently who wore a black and white hat that was stylized like the Los Angeles Raiders, like like the hats like Ice Cube used to wear back Cena. in the day. It was John Cena. 
Oh, Cena, was, that's right. It was I a wanted hustle, that loyalty, respect hat. That's on the shop. That's there. That's why I didn't buy it because it was John Cena. I'm not, I don't hate John Cena by any means, but he's not my favorite. So I'm not going to wear a hat of his. But that was this. I saw that style hat. I was like, oh my God, that is sick. If you like Cena and you're someone of our age who listened to 90s rap, that's like a must purchase hat. No question about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, as for the match, it was a banger. I loved it. This is the highlight of SmackDown. Like, like just, I, I loved seeing these teams go at it. I lo- I'm loving the brutes as faces, like the faces who just want to get in fights and, and put their bodies online. Like it's working. People are generally into it. So, uh, yeah, I like this. All right. A couple more things before we move over to Raw. Before this match on SmackDown, footage was shown from Raw of Solo Sokoa injuring Matt Riddle last week. Michael Cole said Riddle would be out six weeks. Now, we all knew the moment it happened that Riddle would likely be a Royal Rumble return. But calling it six weeks made it blatantly obvious that was going to be the case. I'm not sure being that on the nose was necessary. You can say out two to three months. The guy comes back in six weeks. Oh, this is a shock. He was supposed to be out two or three months. So I was very surprised that they were that blatant about it. And then later backstage, uh, Zayn and the Usos, they were all feeling Usi, having a great time together. Solo, of course, sat there stoic. When they were getting ready to leave to get food, Jay held Sammy back and suggested he clean himself up, get a haircut, trim his beard, all because Roman Reigns is returning to SmackDown next week, and it could be a big night for Sammy. Now, the insinuation is that Reigns perhaps might make him a full-fledged ooze instead of an honorary ooze. Sammy seemed apprehensive about that, but hopeful. And, you know, trying to evaluate this and guess what's going to happen this coming Friday, it really feels far too soon for them to do the actual turn. But the vibes are definitely there, like, Festival of Friendship style. I assume and certainly hope that this is all a red herring. Now they could do the turn and it would be fine because they gave us the false sense of security with the main event of War Games and the way Sammy came to Roman Reigns' aid, had his back and stood up for the entire bloodline. They lure you, perhaps WWE does, into the false sense of security. Everything's going to be okay. And then quickly turn everything on a dime here, all because you know, Sammy lied to Jay that one time and Roman still wouldn't accept it or still didn't believe him, whatever the case might be. But my hope is it's a red herring. We still have six weeks until the Royal Rumble, another month until Elimination Chamber after that. And then I think another six weeks after that until WrestleMania. So there is so much time remaining to do the turn to still get a big match in Montreal at Elimination Chamber and still get something involving Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens with the bloodline, whether it's Reigns, whether it's the Usos, whoever, at WrestleMania. So what I think is going to happen instead is it's a red herring. We're going to see either Kevin Owens or Sheamus interrupt the ceremony for Sami, and that ends up leading to Reigns defending the championship on the last SmackDown of 2022, the one that John Cena is going to be at. I still think that match should be Sheamus. You give KO the match at the Royal Rumble. And then you figure out what the hell you're going to do for Elimination Chamber. Another option, of course, is to do Sheamus at the Royal Rumble and KO at Elimination Chamber, given it's in Montreal. That fully then sets up. You do a major storyline with Sammy and Kevin, and that brings you all the way to WrestleMania. So you know, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but at this point, that's my expectation for Friday night. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a red herring because I don't think it's necessarily implying that there could be a, a, a change, but I, I think it, it led to more excitement. Now I'm curious, is 
is uh, Sammy going to have short hair or, or shorter, trim the beard? Like, it's a new look. It's another change for Sammy. And they've done so many little things along the way throughout this whole story that uh, I think this will just be another one. I agree. I don't think a breakup's coming anytime soon. I think this is more just Sammy further committing himself to the bloodline. And it'll probably be a pretty memorable segment because Sammy's just very good at what he does. I mean, candidly, I don't know how Sammy has lasted with the hair and the beard this long. And I know it's his own choice, but like I have similar hair to him, not in terms of like it's not I obviously don't have red hair, but I have wavy hair. It's it kind of like if it gets really long, it can look unkempt. Same type of idea. And I know if I grow my beard to a certain length and it's nowhere near as long as Sammy's, but a certain length, I just like can't stand it. Like my face, I want to like claw my face off. I have no idea how he has lasted with this. So I. It would kind of be, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's going to be funny or shocking, but if he comes out like with a manicured beard all of a sudden and his hair like nicely trimmed and gelled and tied back, I am kind of anticipating, like you said, the way he's going to look on Friday night. Yeah, they've done a very good job setting up for, hey, Roman Reigns is going to be on SmackDown. Sammy's doing this. You're going to want to watch. Look, football. There's an intercontinental championship match. Yeah, football season is is college football season is 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 almost over. Like I'm almost certainly going to be watching this episode live. Yeah, and I should mention there's a IC title match and I think a women's tag team championship match as well. So two title matches: Roman Reigns returning, Sami Zayn questions about him. That's a hell of a promotion for Friday night, right? That gets you excited to watch that show. So we'll move over to Raw. We'll stick with the bloodline. Uh, Kevin Owens was about to speak backstage when Elias walked up asking a stunned KO to be in his corner for his match against Solo Sokoa. So Owens like paused, like looked at him like cross-eyed. And then he went on a rant asking Elias why the hell he thought KO would get his back when he basically gaslighted him for months with like the whole Ezekiel thing. And then last time he was actually Elias, he hit Kevin Owens with a guitar. So after a long, shocked pause, uh, you know, Elias tried to explain himself, whatever. Owens paused again. He just shook his head and he walked away. <laughs> Elias later appeared in the ring for a Riddle tribute concert. He then pulled up some lyrics out of his uh, jacket that were written by Riddle, but they were rolled up really tight like a joint. So seeing him unspool it was actually one of the few things that got a reaction from the crowd, believe it or not. Elias did get to play for a decent amount of time before Solo erupted for their match. So we had Elias against Sokoa. Elias got up on him early, leading Solo to grab and slam a chair in frustration outside. Sokoa hit a Samoan drop. Elias hit a Symphony, which is like the one move Kevin Patrick has ever called out. And I didn't even know it was called that, but it's actually a pretty decent name for a move. Yeah, Elias eventually... Elias eventually ate a super kick in the corner and then spinning solo and he took the loss. Sokoa added the Samoan spike after the bell just for good measure. When he went to repeat the hip attack into a chair, which is what he did on Riddle last week, Owens had enough. He flew into the ring. He caught Sokoa with a stunner. Then he threatened Solo with a chair as Sammy held Solo back. He's like, you don't need to fight him. You've already proven yourself. Elias stood up. He put a hand on KO's shoulder to say thank you. So Owens turned around and stunned him to end the entire thing. This all worked extremely well. Owens backstage was incredible selling Elias's ask for help and not ignoring their history, going so far as to not only help him, but only do it when it actually became necessary. 
Shout out to Kathy Kelly, by the way, backstage for selling that entire interaction as well. She was fantastic. Sokoa approved a 5-0-1 in singles matches on the main roster with the win. They actually worked well together, him and Elias. I was surprised by that. Plus, this was basically Stone Cold Steve Austin booking for KO. It was the DTA, don't trust anyone. Like, I don't have your back, but okay, begrudgingly, I do have your back, but I'm still going to stun you at the end. I thought it was probably the best top-to-bottom segment we got on Raw. Agree. Kevin Owens, the, the just the facial expressions and, and the rant about Elias was hilarious. And Elias <laughs> saying, that wasn't me, that was my brother Ezekiel. And, and, and Elias saying, yeah, the last time we saw, you know, I smashed my guitar on you, but, you know, then you... You know, you went after Ezekiel, so we're even. And Kevin Owens is like, you and your brother are different people, according to you. How are we even? So, so that was just great. And yeah, I, I had the exact same thought. It was Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was, I'll help the baby face, but I'll also stun the baby face and make sure I walk out on top. Uh, this was fun. Good continuity from the past. Kevin Owens talking about months. He says months and months. And then he turned to the interviewer and said, and months of mental torment perhaps a reference to how oddly long the Ezekiel storyline went. Um, it definitely was a reference. To that. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, so it, it was, it was great. It was, uh, that was great. And then look, I, I said last week we went, we went on about solo Sokoa and how awesome he has been for the past few weeks. Now he's getting a time to shine last two weeks, getting some wins, doing the Samoan spike, just adding another layer to the bloodline and another reason to, fear every single person uh in that group the only thing i i wish would have changed was that when when kevin owens runs in and i think he stunned i think it was solo whoever it was and sammy immediately got out of the ring i wish sammy had stood there for a few seconds and and that kevin owens and sammy Zayn stared at each other for a few seconds and then sammy runs out just to kind of like reference again that like hey these guys still do have a connection even though i know kevin owen said he didn't want anything to do with them ever again just just a slight acknowledgement of that i think would have gone a long way but this is this is a great segment overall see that it's interesting you say that because i thought the exact opposite i loved that they didn't do it for that exact reason they're like look we're not gonna have anything to do with each other now in old wwe times so you know six months ago or a year ago they would end up you know, fighting each other somehow or, you know, something would go down uh, in a very short period of time after them saying we want nothing to do with one another. Here, I thought they were deliberate in not paying attention to each other, not acknowledging each other for the reason that they said they weren't going to. I'm not saying you're right or I'm Mm -hmm. right. I'm just saying I appreciated that. I thought it was purposeful. I understand, though, why you kind of thought it would be kind of cool to just have that additional acknowledgement of like, hey, we said we're not going to interact. What the hell is going on? Like, here's another moment where we have to interact with each other, basically. Now, yep. this whole thing does seem to be setting up Owen Sokoa. That's the way I see it playing out. And I think that's going to end up being like a match that Owens need, like a like a lower boss, that he needs to get by Sokoa to get one more match with Roman Reigns for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, which I believe would be Owen's fourth opportunity. I think he had three matches that he lost in succession during the Thunderdome era. It's been a long time, obviously, since he contended for the title last. That is my expectation with this going forward. I'm curious if you see it the same way. Yeah, I don't know about number one contender or whatnot, but it does feel like Kevin Owens solo is a way to go. I think Roman returning to SmackDown this week will 
set the table for what's next in all of that. I imagine that'll get resolved here pretty quickly. Um, but Kevin Owens versus Solo would be fun. I, I, I think I think there's a lot you could do with that. And uh, yeah, just again, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. It, it could be a lot of different ways you can do this. And, and I, I trust them to send in a good direction. All right. Well, that was the main event. As I said, not much of a main event this week. Chris, we have plenty more to talk about in the world of WWE across SmackDown and Raw. And the way we do that is by moving into our next segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Say dude to give you ice and you own some... All right, so let's start with Raw and the United States Championship. Dolph Ziggler backstage put over how the U.S. title is even more than a workhorse championship and the top belt on Raw right now. He said Austin Theory is a paper champion who doesn't understand what it means to actually hold the title. Ziggler said Theory's cocky arrogance will be his downfall and told him to watch his back. I thought between the Owens uh, promo segment, the um, backstage segment we just mentioned, and this promo here from Ziggler made it crystal clear that WWE is letting wrestlers cut promos without scripts these days, at least the ones who are capable of doing so. This was a paradigm of that. There's not much to chew on, but I did think it was good stuff from Ziggler. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I just feel like there isn't much of a connection with Ziggler yet in terms of like getting behind him. He just hates theory kind of. And, and he's been a heel on WWE for the last several years. Like he hasn't really like had that like face moment. All right, time to get behind Ziggler. And look, maybe it doesn't need to be telegraphed by that. But I Well, just... he super kicked his ass. He super kicked a heel. Um, when he when the money in the bank situation not that long ago, obviously before he lost the briefcase. Well, that was that's a when while he turned ago. Face. <laughs> well, that was a while. But that's when he turned face. We, He's we been a thorn in Theory's side. Yes, no, no, we haven't. It's been, it, it's been but, like on and off. It, it, it's been a while. Very on and off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, it was fine. It was a good promo. Like I, I like Ziggler. I think he's incredibly talented. I, I like to see him getting a, a, a spot here. It also came at a time where we've had a few weeks now where like three or four people are feuding with theory at the same time. Yeah. And this was before we had a number one contender match later in the show, I think was after this. Yeah. And so like, it's just kind of confusing exactly what's going on at the moment with the belt. But, but I did like it's why is it's why is Ziggler in that spot? You're correct about um, the fact that there was the number one contendership immediately after it. Mustafa Ali wasn't on the show at all. He's been involved in it. He's the one that Ziggler screwed out of the championship you know, opportunity at least to win the title last week in their match. He's not seen at all. Uh, Lashley, we'll talk about what's going to happen with him momentarily. So yeah, it's the US championship scene. Again, if they were building towards Elimination Chamber, if this was early February, I would say this makes total sense. Exactly. Creating a number of contenders and they're going to put the title on the line in Elimination Chamber and that's what's going to happen. But it's not early February. It's mid-December. So I have no clue what they're doing. Maybe they're going to do a fatal four-way on the final Raw of the year for the championship, and they'll do a change there. I mean, I don't like the championship being hot potatoed. I really do think Theory should hold it for a good while now that he's reestablished himself as this new character. They've done so much good with him so far, despite our distaste at the way they took the Money in the Bank briefcase off of him. 
So yeah, there is a frustration there. But in a vacuum, I thought this was a very good promo and, and uh, a good way to sell and explain why he is still after Theory. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's stay with the United States Championship. We had Seth Rollins against Bobby Lashley in that number one contendership match. This was the main event of Raw. Lashley grabbed steel steps early and was convinced by the referee to put them down. After a while, Rollins hit a falcon arrow. Lashley came back with a helicopter outside. Rollins leapfrogged a spear and hit a frog splash. When he went for the stomp, Lashley literally just maintained his crouch position. He was too strong, basically, for Rollins to connect with it. He came back with a power slam and a hurt lock but Rollins backed Lashley into a corner with the referee falling out of the ring as a consequence, and he sprained his ankle, falling outside. Lashley connected with the spear for a false finish. The referee was a little bit too slow, getting back inside to make the count. When Lashley tried a second spear, Rollins countered it directly into a pedigree with an immediate cover for the one, two, three. Lashley quickly stood up. He put hands on the ref. A second referee came up behind him to kind of pull him off. Lashley presumably figured it was Rollins, so he just elbowed the guy. Adam Pierce ran out to admonish Lashley off mic. He starts screaming at him. He reminded Lashley about what he said last week, that he had no more strikes left. Lashley started screaming back at Pierce, and then he shoved him really hard into a cameraman and the barricade. Pierce immediately rebounded. He ran right up to Lashley, got in his face, cursed at him. He said he called him a motherfucker by the way, and they bleeped it, which was great, and fired him right on the spot. Lashley was obviously shocked that he got fired, shocked at the entire turn of events, and Raw immediately went off the air with the cliffhanger. So, Chris, let me start with my frustrations, okay? This was the main event of Raw, a three-hour television program, and we didn't see either of these guys live until there were 15 minutes left in the show. There were no backstage like training clips, no promos in the ring, no interviews ahead of the match, literally nothing. It made no sense to keep the top two guys on the show off of TV for two hours and 45 minutes and then only give them 15 minutes for the headline match and that match went to commercial four minutes in. So we only really got, you know, what, 13 minutes? I'm sorry, no, that's bad math. 11 minutes of them on television, not counting their entrances over the course of the show. And then you give us that finish and you're like, well, <laughs> that now what, right? Lashley backstage could have addressed maybe earlier in the show whether he was worried about Pierce's ultimatum, uh, his confidence in going after Rollins. Rollins, of course, could cackle and do all the shit that he does. So I was very frustrated that there was basically no lead up to a big time main event match when Raw, what we just saw last week, is the third hour absolutely tanked in the rating. It was the lowest hour of Raw ever, rated ever. Wow. So clearly wow. they said, hey, let's put a big match in the in the third hour. People will stay tuned. Okay, you have to give people a reason to stay tuned. You have to remind them that this match is coming up. At least at the tail end of that Vince McMahon era, they did the, hey, Cody Rhodes at 9 p.m. Why not do Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley main event? Don't miss it. Final segment of Raw. It was very, very frustrating to me as a viewer and someone who certainly hopes that WWE, just like AEW, I hope these companies succeed and get good ratings and, you know, good wrestling is good for all of us, right? Like um, the, the industry succeeding. So it's so frustrating from a business standpoint and from a kayfabe creative booking promotional standpoint for them not to promote this throughout the entire show. Now, all of that said, what we actually got in the main event was strong. It was predictable last week that Lashley would do something to accidentally run afoul of Pierce's mandate. Rollins clearly made sense as the winner. 
That was executed well with the spear turn pedigree. I figured Rollins would follow with a stomp, but it was probably smart to do a flash pin right in the moment and not like continue it out. And then the post-match I thought was executed perfectly. It was nice that they didn't do another suspension storyline. That's different for a change. And I presume it's going to be revealed eventually maybe that Pierce doesn't have the authority to actually fire anybody. At least that's my expectation of the entire thing. Look, as we said last week, I presume this is leading to the rekindling of Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Whether that's a confrontation in the Royal Rumble match itself, that's my booking the damn territory, or something else, that remains to be seen. But with both guys now out, it does make the most sense for them to return together in one way or another. Another option, of course, is reforming the Hurt Business. That could be a way to get Lashley back. Either way, Chris, everything involved in this was good. I just wish we got more of it, and I wish they actually promoted it. Yes, agree on the promotion. I kept as I was watching Raw, I was like, "What is the main event?" I I, I kept I kept forgetting. I kept having to think. You should never ask that when it's a nope, match like that. Nope, when it's a match nope. of that quality. And I didn't I didn't realize until you said it there that that was the lowest rated hour of Raw ever. And look, ratings are down. TV viewership is down in general. That 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 itself is not as much the issue here as much as this specific hour being the lowest ever relative to everything else. Um, it, the the match was. Good. The match was fine. I'm fine with the finish and everything. The only issue I had was Pierce announcing Bobby Lashley's firing. You only knew that if you were watching on TV. He he needed to have a microphone and say, Bobby Lashley, you're fired. Crowd reaction. Like it, it was a weird kind of like it was a weird segment to like almost cut away from the, you know, as the as the credits are basically rolling um so that was that was the only thing i would change it's like make that you're fired more impactful because if if you're Mm -hmm. you're not there you don't know i was at the um the the mark henry slamming john cena uh bit you know in in grand rapids many many years ago at the time i got a lot more left in the tank we we didn't hear that i we that line (laughs) i got more in the tank we did not hear that in the arena we thought he had like retired so like you need to make that clear to the crowd, especially a crowd that did not react. That's the moment. That's the climactic moment of your show is Bobby Lashley. You're fired. And nobody in the arena, unless you're right outside, right nearby heard it. Cause there were a couple fans you caught on camera saying stuff. So th- that was the only thing I would have changed, but they've built this up. Well, they built up the Pierce Lashley, the, the idea of him upsetting Pierce so much that it gets to this point. Like it, it worked. It, it, that all worked. So I don't know what's next. I'm curious what's next. It could be the Hurt Business. It could be Lashley goes to SmackDown. He could just stay away for a bit, which would be weird because we've got him out, Riddle out. Like a lot of stars are kind of out right now. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I'm genuinely curious next week on Raw, what's up with Bobby Lashley? So that worked. I just think you could have made it more impactful. Yeah. Again, I think that everything you said is correct. To play a little bit of devil's advocate, it's much more realistic for Pierce to be so incensed in the moment after getting shoved by this man that he walks right up to him and fires him. That he doesn't grab a mic. Bobby Lashley, you're fired. Like it is way, way more realistic the way it actually played out in the close of Raw than if he had done what you're suggesting. I'm not saying you're wrong because you do want that audience reaction. I'm just saying the realism of what transpired hit me as a TV viewer better by them doing it this way. Yeah, to each their own. I, wrestling is full of, I'm going to say something over the microphone to make a point, and this is 
suspending disbelief often happens. So I, I would have preferred it. You thought it was fine. All right. Well, I think the do. best, you know, the best way to really do it is you have Adam Pierce come out like with a microphone in his hand initially. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you have him hold it kind of like low. So he's not talking into it, but he's just it's picking up what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And then he has the mic in his hand. So then when Lashley shoves him and he walks right up to him, he can say it. And without saying it into the mic, the mic picks it up and the crowd hears it and we at home hear it. So mm-hmm. that is one better way to execute the entire thing and really go a little bit be- between but what both you and I wanted from the segment. But I, yeah. I did like the way they executed it um, overall. All right, Chris, let's move over to SmackDown. Uh, LA Knight said it's obvious he struck a nerve and maybe some fear in Bray Wyatt. Knight said Wyatt claiming he isn't responsible for the attacks is all crap. And then he showed footage that we all already saw of the masked dude twice stalking LA Knight before he got attacked. This promo was interrupted by Uncle Howdy appearing on screen asking, what are you waiting for? Do you want to be respected to be feared? He deserves to be punished. Do it. Do it now. He deserves to suffer. The door is closing. Knight got pissed and went to go find Wyatt. So now Knight's backstage. He's looking over his shoulders when he entered a really tiny dressing room and saw Wyatt's logo on a shirt just hanging in the dressing room. The light shut out and Knight used the light on his phone, which suddenly landed on the masked guy with cameras cutting off. My only issue was we never went back to it afterward. It would have been nice to see the guy take off the mask, a night to be shocked by it, even if we didn't see who was under it, or for him to be laid out on the ground afterward, you know, like go to commercial, come back, he's knocked out. Just something more than what we actually got. But at least the wrestler wasn't playing dumb, right? Like we, the audience, got to see the circumstances of these attacks. And Knight's like, well, guess what? I watched the footage and I saw that as well. He also got the crowd going on the mic. They really are starting to connect with LA Knight, even as a heel. So... Despite me maybe not loving this entire thing, I'm actually going to go with a good. There were a lot of positives here. Really, my biggest negative was he's walking into like the smallest dressing room I've ever seen with a single (laughs) T-shirt on it. And that's supposed to be indicative of Bray Wyatt. Where's the blue light? Where's some of that crazy shit that we've seen recently? That was such a weird room to walk into. They just should have done that up a little bit better. This is definitely a good. And L.A. Knight is making everything around Bray Wyatt better. That's a real sentence I think we can say. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. He comes out. First of all, I like his theme. I, it, it's growing on me. It's very heelish. It just fits him. I, I'm liking the theme. He's getting booed. He's getting solid boos because he's very good at setting this thing up the way he's talking on the mic and doing these different things. He's wearing those sunglasses, which are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and he, he also kind of fixed the beard a little bit. It's, it's less strange the way he shaved some of the sides of it. It, 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 It's all working. The only thing that was weird was yes, going into that tiny locker room, whatever. And then there's a t-shirt and then lights go off. Not only does that happen without any real spooky stuff, they go to commercial right then and there, and then they come back and don't say anything anymore. (laughs) He just, he just completely just didn't acknowledge uh, LA Knight just got attacked. Uh, we'll figure out what's going on and let you know if we find out. Like nothing. They just kind of moved on, which was kind of annoying. So just some of the um, production around it, I think, could have been better. But overall, definitely a good. And every time LA Knight's just on the screen, it's just it's interesting. That's that's a talent. Yeah, that is true. Now, you know, to quickly just talk a little bit more about this and then we'll move on. 
My biggest problem with the Bray Wyatt stuff right now is the entire gimmick and storyline, at least to me, has cooled off. Like, I'm not suggesting he's no longer yes. over. He'll still get cheered when he's in the ring. But his return was singularly the hottest thing in wrestling at that time. We're not talking that long ago. And they have done nothing to follow it up for months now. Like the story we've gotten so far probably could have been told in two or three weeks. And I don't know the exact time. I didn't look it up. I probably should have. It feels like it's been two months where we're getting not the exact same thing every week, but very similar segments on a week to week basis. Bray should have already fought and defeated LA Knight and moved on to a different feud. We have the Alexa Bliss slow burn. That seems to be coming to a close. But why the hell would they need to wait for her to move Wyatt forward? So because of that, I'm just, it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's not that I'm still not interested, but I'm immensely frustrated by the entire thing. It has indeed been two months. October 8th was the day he returned. And nothing's really changed. Nothing has really changed for him since then. You're right. This should have gone, this this whole LA night thing could have been done in three weeks. Like, I just, I don't understand. Or a month. Or, or like that, that first month, they could have told this entire story. Yeah. Four weeks. Yep, I agree. I, I, this is what I've been <laughs> saying. I've been saying this since about three weeks after he debuted. It's just, it hasn't really gone anywhere. And the only steps forward have basically been LA night. You know, slapping Bray doing his thing and, and talking this week. Bray's just been backstage cutting promos. He hasn't done anything. It's Yeah, it's and it's okay to have a couple weeks of that. But, like, we've probably had four or five weeks of Bray just cutting a promo and then getting interrupted. Yep. And it's just like, okay. And those interruptions, they're so convoluted in the verbiage that's being used where it's not really painting any type of clear path in terms of what we should be expecting going forward. So... As far as I'm concerned, they're currently in a shit or get off the pot situation with Bray Wyatt. They need to move on this. It's very simple. They got to have the LA Knight match. He needs to get past them. We got to figure out what's happening with Alexa Bliss. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we need to go into what this guy's motivations are, what he actually wants, and create the beginnings of a storyline for WrestleMania. Because right now, it again has been drastically cooled off. This thing was at a 10 when he returned, literally a 10. And now, Chris, what is it? A, a six, six and a half, maybe seven if we're being generous? I'd say five for me personally. No, because he's I still mean, getting big reactions when he comes he, out. He, he, well, yeah, per- personally, I'm at like a four or five, but he he is still getting reactions. So your number is So let's say a six. So let's call yeah. it a six, okay? So he's at a six right now at a 10, which is way too big of a drop for a guy that came back with this level of excitement. Like you think about Braun Strowman coming back, he's pretty much at the same level that he came back at, right? Like it was a surprise at first and then fans just continue liking seeing him on TV. But Braun's actually been involved in things. Bray hasn't been. And it's just, it's time again for them to shit or get off the pot. One more thing before we move on, because this does have to do with the Wyndham and Rotunda families. Uh, They nearly lost Barry Wyndham this past week. He had a massive heart attack. He was without a pulse for 15 minutes. A pedestrian gave him CPR until EMTs were able to arrive and save his life. That's incredible on its own right. But luckily, he seems to be recovering. Obviously, great news for him individually and for the family. It also likely explains why Bray Wyatt was entirely missing from SmackDown this week. So I just wanted to 
uh, provide that note for everyone before we can. Good, 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 good news on that front. Good to hear. Absolutely. So we had Alexa Bliss against Bailey in a number one contendership for the Raw Women's Championship over on Raw. After Damage Control made its entrance, Becky Lynch ran in from the crowd to attack Eosky and Dakota Kai, chasing them away with a chair, presumably to give Bliss a fair chance. Bianca Belair then came out to watch at ringside. This started extremely slow. Bliss hit a nice cannonball off the apron plus a DDT for a weak cover. Bailey came back with like an inverted Alabama slam kind of into the top turnbuckle and then a sunset flip powerbomb into the middle one. Next was a Bailey to belly false finish. Bailey ripped off a turnbuckle. Belair grabbed it outside and called the referee's attention to it to let him know she was cheating. Bailey got distracted, of course, coming back inside. That opened the door for Twisted Bliss, which led to the win for Bliss in 13 minutes. Belair congratulated her, offered her a handshake after the bell. Bliss decided she wanted a hug instead, legitimately. But as she went for the hug, the Bray Wyatt logo flashed on the Titantron, and she instead put Bianca in Sister Abigail briefly before coming to her senses, looking at her and releasing it. So look, Bliss was the expected winner here. And while Bailey got a distraction excuse, it was her own fault for putting herself in that situation. Plus, I thought the post-match was pretty well executed and it creates a reason to be interested in this match despite it being babyface, babyface. And we already know it's pretty much gonna be a cakewalk for Bel Air. So despite me not actually wanting Bliss to go back to Bray, that just feels completely repetitive. This at least finally moves Bailey and damage control away from Bianca and gives her a new number one contender. Those are all positives. The negative was the actual match. It was slow and clunky. The crowd didn't pop for anything they did. We talked about it being a terrible crowd. Bliss has never been strong in the ring, but she has been at her worst since returning this most recent time. Outside of like Becky Lynch, Liv Morgan, Asuka, and Rhea Ripley, the women are just not getting good reactions. And that's probably a consequence of the recent booking that we've been complaining about. And yes, I did exclude Bel Air from that list of people. She's still getting cheers, but she was red hot and she has been cooled off significantly because of the extended damage control booking. So I'm going to go with good for the creative and the finish to the match. But really, this should have all gone a lot better than it did. Yes. I know this was the beginning of the show and you could tell when there was zero reaction to Bailey coming in, you're like, is this about Bailey and damage control or is this just a bad crowd? You know, as we figured out, it was just yeah. generally a bad crowd, but you know, Alexa wins and you're like, okay, like I guess they're going to do something with Alexa bliss. Finally, that's good, but it is kind of a weird friend versus friend dynamic, I guess. Sure. Like, okay, like sure. It's something Bailey, She's lost enough times. I think we're ready for her to kind of get out of the title picture and do something else. I think they all need it. And then the Bray Wyatt thing happens. And look, I understand a lot of people are like, oh, why are we going back to that? It's repetitive. Her therapist clearly didn't do a good job, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> but the, the way I look at it is just like, it's something. It's something for Alexa Bliss to do. She has been doing nothing for such a long period of time here. Even getting a title shot like, Okay, like that's a little bit something, and then you throw this on top. All right, something's something's happening with Alexa Bliss where I'm at least interested now. Where for several months now I have not been, so I give this a slight, slight good. Uh, so Jonathan P at Johnny Five Alive Seven, he wrote in. I really don't want Alexa Bliss back with Bray Wyatt. Supernatural Bliss was the worst, and it ruined the fiend. And that is part of my concern 
with them putting them perhaps back together. What I'm hoping comes out of this entire thing is that because Bray Wyatt returned, there's some like remnants of whatever the fiend was or whatever her relationship to Bray is left in her head that she needs to overcome to finally progress past him. And maybe that even includes a confrontation with Bray to kind of say, get out of my head or stop this from happening. Or maybe she and Bray fight against these forces together. If it's something like that, then I think it could be super interesting. I just don't want her falling back into whatever you want to call that supernatural character version of Bliss with Lily and all that bullshit. I just don't want that coming back. So Look, hopefully I, it doesn't. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I had said way back when, when it was going on, that the story to tell is Nikki Cross, her friend, like mm-hmm. brings her back from the dark side. Like there was a- Pulls her out of the story abyss. To tell. Yeah, yeah totally. that they didn't do- and I don't know if I trust them to do, or at least didn't at the time. Maybe now with Triple H, they can get into a little bit more of this character stuff a bit more, but I'll also believe it when I see it. All right, we'll stay with Raw and the women. Candice LeRae fought EO Sky. Candice ate a pull-down code breaker in the corner and got drop-kicked off the top rope, but she avoided a powerbomb off the apron, countering it into a poison rana outside, which was a great, devastating move. Zero reaction from the crowd. Yes. EO came back with a German suplex bridge and after some jockeying on the top rope, hit Candice with her over the moonsault for the win. Really strong match, like I said, barely registered anything from that awful Milwaukee crowd. They barely popped for anything all night, especially this. They did a poison Rana to ringside and got peep out of it. I'm not saying this was a five-star match or anything, but there were plenty of great spots in this match to draw reactions and the crowd was silent the entire time. I said this last week that this could be match of the night and midway through the show, it was the best match that we got. It's also smart to not have Candice beat both Dakota and EO and for EO to get her win without any interference whatsoever from damage control. That makes damage control look good. It makes her look good. I thought this was well booked. It was well executed. F the crowd. This was good. For some reason, this is an episode of Raw where or SmackDown and Raw, where I just noticed a lot of themes a lot more. And this is the first time I'd really heard Candace's in a while, and I liked it. So wanted to yeah. that. Um the match the match was good. Like the wrestling was good. The booking made sense. I personally just don't care so much yet about the mm-hmm. matchup much behind this. I don't know any history they have in NXT. You know, I just I, I know of them. I just I wasn't as close in on it as as you are and people who watch the show so i give this a slight good because like it all made sense i just didn't particularly care and the crowd definitely weighed that down which is not their fault because they did have a good match right it wasn't the women the women's fault you're saying it was the crowd yes yeah yes i completely agree with that we'll move over to smackdown the intercontinental championship contract signing was held adam pierce moderated with new day entering before anything happened to get ricochets back against Imperium. There's a funny back and forth with Pierce asking why they thought there would be a fight at a contract signing with Xavier Woods replying, have you ever watched wrestling? Which was maybe the best line in WWE across the entire week. Gunther said there's nothing that can save Ricochet from a beating and Imperium are professional wrestlers, not performers. The faces joke that Imperium can't perform, making a sexual innuendo, as Ricochet signed the contract promising he won't give up until he wins the title back. Pierce, he saw that a brawl was coming, 
So he just called for a referee to make it a six-man tag team match. So we had Ricochet and New Day against Imperium. The brawl came before the bell, and it all happened without a commercial break, which was pretty interesting and counter to what we normally get TV production-wise. Ricochet and Gunther had a nice sequence previewing their match. Kofi Kingston hit Ludwig Kaiser with Trouble in Paradise before Ricochet added a shooting star press to get the win. Ricochet then talked trash right into Gunther's face after the bell. The match was clunky in parts, but the work was largely good. The contract signing was helped massively by New Day showing up and making it entertaining. They really took the pressure off of Ricochet in the moment. And Rick, even his promo was fine on its own, but New Day made it hilarious and just more entertaining overall. A good for both. I did think the match could have been smoother given the talent of all the six guys that were wrestling. Maybe they didn't get a lot of time to put it together. I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, this was very entertaining. Yeah, I I give this a good. I I kept thinking Gunther really emphasizing we are professional wrestlers. And and just how much we've heard that term wrestling since Vince is no longer in charge of the on-screen product with the company. It also made me realize like, that also really goes against everything with the Jericho Appreciation Society and AW. Like they've really gone after the sports entertainer, sports entertainer bit, which I got at first, but like WWE doesn't really do that anymore. <laughs> and it felt like the segment was kind of an emphasis of this, of like, it just, it really is a bit of a new era on the screen with them. Uh, I enjoyed Gunther in this. I enjoyed Ricochet in this. I liked the back and forth they had. New Day made it great as well. Everything worked here. Just this is a great spot to just throw in New Day to have a fun thing. They're doing their own thing on on NXT uh, now, so yeah, this is good. Yeah, for those who do not know, who didn't see the clips on Raw, whatever the case, New Day are the new NXT Tag Team Champions, the third ever Triple Crown Tag Team Champions in WWE behind the Revival, now FTR, and the Street Profits. Uh, also, Xavier Woods won a championship in NXT. 10 years after making his debut uh, with that brand. So very, very interesting stuff. Uh, There'll be more about that certainly Tuesday night, uh, tonight as we're taping this podcast on NXT. Very curious to see what they do with New Day. And you can go watch them win the titles if you want at NXT deadline this past Saturday, which was a very good show, Chris. I, I assume you didn't watch it. You should definitely see those Iron Survivor matches at a minimum. I've not. I did see that... Um... Uh, the, the, the guy who, who won the men's match again, uh, what's his name? Uh, Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller. Yeah. I love him. I think he's awesome. So, uh, I was glad to see him win. So I will, I have not watched, but I, I, I need to. For anyone who does not watch NXT normally, I highly recommend watching NXT deadline. You can even really keep it to the two iron survivor matches and the tag team championship match, which is pretty deadly against new day. Just watch those three out of the five if you don't want to watch the entire show. Uh, But those three matches, all exceptional, highly recommended, especially because Iron Survivor is a new match type, which may be pretty interesting to a lot of you. And then guess what you can do? You can listen to our NXT Deadline Instant Analysis podcast, which is awaiting your ear holes in our uh, podcast feed. So don't miss any of that. We'll go back to WWE main roster right now with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Shotzi on SmackDown could be heard screaming and holding her wrist in the parking lot with Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler walking away. They later acted as if it was nothing uh, when Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox came up, noting how many women they had recently injured except them. Baszler said, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, which seemed like a challenge that the faces accepted. Now, before the match, we did get a short video package 
with Tegan explaining her knee injuries and her road back to WWE. It was exactly what she needed, but it was like, I don't know, 70 seconds long. And I really wished it was two or three minutes to give a little bit more. It was like a cursory look at her rather than a deeper dive into why we should actually care about this woman. But at least they did something as opposed to nothing. So we got Rousey and Baszler against Morgan and Knox. Raquel Gonzalez tried to kind of get into the match. She was pissed off. She was held back by officials. Her arm was still braced. That distracted Rousey and the referee. Morgan countered the Kirifuda clutch from Baszler with a jawbreaker. Knox hit Baszler with the shiniest wizard. And the faces got the win in four minutes. Now, the positive here was Knox looked good. And the faces outsmarted the heels for the really the first time since Rousey's super heel turn. The negative was the women getting four total minutes of wrestling on a show when the booking could have been achieved with Tegan actually getting to show out in the ring before going to the finish. Plus, the faces ended up getting a tag team title match. Knox has only been in WWE for two weeks and they're already giving them a title match. Now, I understand that they beat a former NXT women's champion in Baszler and a former NXT women's tag team champion, sorry, a WWE women's tag team champion in Baszler who was teamed with the SmackDown Women's Champion in Rousey. So they did get a big win. And given there's so few women's tag teams, it's not that much of a stretch to give them a tag team title match because of it. It just would have been nice if it happened with Knox and WWE for longer than two weeks, and she already has a title opportunity. One other positive, Knox is no longer wearing her knee braces while wrestling. That's a great sign for someone with chronic knee injuries, for her to not even have to wear them anymore. That's fantastic. This was good overall. I liked a lot of what they did. The usage of Rousey and Baszler, it's definitely working. They wrote Shotzi out. It does seem like she legitimately has a fracture in her hand. She's going to be out, it seems, six weeks. Raquel Rodriguez is out with the arm injury. We just mentioned the men who have been out. Of course, Cody is still out. Randy Orton isn't on. There's, There's a ton of people right now not available for WWE. And yet, they're putting Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox in a good situation here. Yeah, I, I think it all worked well enough. Your point about explaining Tegan Knox's road back, but kind of just rushing through it as she's talking, I think, backstage was uh, a bit rushed. I would have liked just a video package about her. Just tell me who she is, how she got her. I forgot. I don't remember her in NXT. She was up for a minute and then she's gone. Like, it, it was helpful. It, it was it was good, but it, it feel like you could have just done a bit more. Getting a tag team title shot out of this is, yes, kind of weird, but look, they got to do something with the tag team titles. You got to create a division. I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me. It's not like these are some amazing titles that uh, only get defended at certain times. So yeah, it was fine. I, I give it all a light good. Like what, what they're doing with Ronda and all this stuff is it's working well enough. Like it's not, it's not bad. So um, I'll give it a good. All right. Uh, Rey Mysterio on SmackDown was working with a trainer on his ankle when Karrion Cross and Scarlett walked up to him on the training table, promising that they were not a threat. He had nothing to worry about. The trainer called for security while Cross leveled with Mysterio about what he's been going through with his son. Cross told the story about Scarlett's family in Romania having a horse that lost all of its athleticism. It couldn't compete anymore. So it became a workhorse and then eventually became useless, suggesting that Ray needed to be put out of his misery because his clock is ticking. This was probably, Chris, Don't tell me if I'm wrong, the best usage of Cross to date. It explained why he has become focused on Ray, and he actually came off as like really stoic and intimidating. It also makes total sense, given he's fresh to the main roster, 
to continue trying to make an impact against a veteran. I loved this segment. I thought it was very good. Yes, I, I, I liked it too. Like, you don't, Karen Cross can be intimidating without having to be spooky and doing this like just kind of like in a calmly threatening way, you know, a bigger guy against a smaller guy. Like it worked. I, I, I definitely like this uh, for him. One of the best things, honestly, one of the best things I think we've gotten from him in total on the main roster. Yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> yeah. So you're agreeing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I think I think it was the most realistic thing that we got from him, right? And that's what we want. You know, there's a lot of like spookiness and dark characters coming back into WWE. And we knew that would be the case with Triple H. They need ways to differentiate themselves. And I think Karrion Cross as more of a hitman type of persona is a lot better mm-hmm. than tarot cards and spookiness and lights going out and all that type of shit. So this was definitely a step in the right direction for his character. And I do like the idea of a feud between him and Rey Mysterio, because guess what? Cross isn't that strong in the ring and Mysterio is. So if anyone's going to make him look good, Ray's the right person to do it. So that's a huge positive as well. Uh, the Street Profits and Akira Tozawa fought Judgment Day over on Raw. Asked why they helped Tozawa last week. The Profits put him over and called him their ninja uh, before they all screamed together. Uh, Montez Ford went on a run until getting pounced hard over the announce table by Damian Priest. The referee missed a Dawkins tag. That sent him into a frenzy. He was really pissed off. Ford got singled out in the ring, took a beating. Dawkins finally got the hot tag, hitting all of his signatures on Finn Balor. Ford then hit Balor with a frog-style crossbody. Dawkins ate a bell clap from Priest, with Dawkins taking South of Heaven. Tazawa and Dominic Mysterio actually had a nice run, with Tazawa hitting a great Tope Suicida flying headbutt on him. Tozawa then got a spike DDT on Balor and Dom. The crowd starts popping for Akira Tozawa. This was, again, let me repeat, a terrible Milwaukee crowd, yet... Akira Tozawa got them on their feet popping. It was great to see that. Priest picked him off the top rope, though, while standing on the apron and threw him into the ring with a razor's edge. And Dom jumped on top of Tozawa for the one, two, three. I got to say, dude, it was really cool to see Tozawa be the star of the match. He got the best baby face reactions. That was a really nice surprise. Good six man to get Judgment Day another win as they continue to build up their authority. And it was an awesome finish with the razor's edge over the ropes. I've definitely seen it before, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, that, that was the first thing I wrote in my notes about this was that Tozawa was the star of the match. You know, <laughs> like like it, it, this was not about Judgment Day or Profits, even if it was supposed to be. Tozawa was the most exciting person and the crowd reacted as such. He deserved that reaction, especially from this bad, bad crowd. So uh, good for him. That, that, that was awesome. That was awesome. Um, this is the spot that I had my note about Kevin Patrick. And that is, you mentioned in recapping the match, there's that moment where Priest just goes on a rampage and just hits everybody with a big move. And Kevin Patrick said, like, nothing. It was almost silence from the commentary. Corey Graves said something briefly, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the moment as an announcer that you have to get Priest over or just, just pump him up talking to... to Talk about the moves he's doing. Talk about how dominant he looks. You know how, how great he is. That's that was Damien Priest's moment in the match, and commentary missed it, and it was a missed opportunity to make uh, Priest just look good in that moment um, extra. So that was something I, I, I took note of in this match. Um, but overall, it was 
it was it was it was fun. It was set up from the previous week. It it just it kind of made sense, and it was it was a good match. So this was uh, good. Spot on comment about commentary. It's just been brutal. It's getting worse or equally as bad every single week. I don't understand how Triple H is sitting in gorilla position with the headset on, listening to these guys talk, and saying, "Yeah, this is good enough." I. It's he's not really, a play-by-play guy. It's just he's, he's not he's a play-by-play great guy. interviewer. Yeah, I but, but don't get play it. Play-by-play those, those moments when when a wrestler's on a run or something like that, like it's your job to elevate that performer with your words. And just there's many times it doesn't, and that one really stuck out because not only was the crowd silent because it was a bad crowd, but then when commentary silent, it really sticks out. Let me ask you this, just out of curiosity, if it was. Corey Graves and Byron Saxton on commentary. That's it. No play-by-play man. Graves knows enough where he could probably get you in and out of matches. Do you think that would be better? Because I do. Better, yes. I wouldn't love Not it. Not good enough, but better. But it, it, I, I do think it would be better. Yes. Yeah, I think they need a long, longer-term solution than that. But they could definitely transition to that right now. And I would look at it and say, these guys are totally capable of of handling it better than Kevin Patrick is. Again, don't dislike the guy. He has a role in WWE. He's been very good backstage on kickoff shows. This ain't it. Yep. Just not. Agree. All right. Uh, Asuka fought Rhea Ripley. Asuka entered without her signature face paint, wearing gear that was mostly black with only green and purple on it, as opposed to all the multicolored stuff she usually wears. Now, this came after she spent the entire last week on Twitter showing shades of her former gimmick back in Japan, Kana. So Ripley got driven into the ring post. She ate a code breaker on the apron. She also took a ton of punishment inside with Asuka delivering one big kick after another. Dom got in Asuka's way outside and then he fell down like a coward when she tried to kick him. Ripley speared Asuka into the ring apron and then checked on Dom. Asuka countered Riptide into the Asuka lock, which Ripley only escaped because Dom put her foot on the bottom rope. Asuka sat up really incensed about it. She misted him in the face with blue teal mist before Ripley caught her, obviously distracted. She was facing the other way with Riptide and Rhea got the win. Dom sold the mist like a baby as Rhea ran over to him. He was screaming for help. Asuka looked really sad and depressed after the bell. But production cut away from her a little bit too soon. I really wanted a lingering shot on her to sell her losing the match and the character change that seems pretty obvious that it's coming. Later backstage, Dom was whining even more while in the training room getting eye drops. Judgment Day tried to build up his ego and console him. Like, it's okay, you're still the best, whatever. Damian Priest had a line that um, he could have had a worse infection or something like that. Again, a sexual innuendo. Balor was funny. He was screaming for mommy. It was just really, really good backstage stuff. Now, Asuka and Ripley, don't forget, they went from that WrestleMania feud a couple of years ago where it seemed like they had no chemistry at all. Suddenly, every time they're in the ring together, it's great work. Really strong match from both women. Asuka looked dominant, and then she took an excused loss given Dom's interference. Now, she's in the middle of a character change. Ripley is surging. So any other result would be silly. This is the perfect spot for Asuka to lose a match. I do wonder, though, how Ripley stays away from Bel Air until we get to a major show. That's the only lingering question. 
Really, really good work from all three of them that were involved in this. Yeah, it, it, it was a good match. It was a good setup. Clearly, it was ultimately building toward a uh, a Dominic bit. That gro- that did get a good reaction from the crowd, and everything they played after it after it worked really well. I, I think their their entrance to the ring, the Rhea uh, Dominic entrance. They get to the ring, and then Rhea will whisper something in his ear. I think they had to do it twice in Raw because there were two different entrances <laughs> for Judgment Day in, the, in this uh, episode of Raw. I don't know what else there is to, to say, but um, yeah, this this wasn't really about Asuka. This was really about Rhea in furthering Judgment Day, and I think it ultimately, ultimately did that. So this was a good. Uh, Kurt Angle was walking backstage on SmackDown with Gable Steveson and then Braun Strowman they bumped into. Angle was at his party. They were celebrating his birthday in Pittsburgh when Jason Jordan walked up to hand him a number one dad drawing that looked like it was made by a five-year-old. This was a really fun tongue-in-cheek segment. And it's just kind of great to see yes. Jordan on TV. But Chris, I cannot help every time I see him on TV wondering what could have been. And every time that I think that, it makes me a little bit sad. Now, maybe he can have one of those miraculous comebacks like Edge and Page. You know, we don't know the specifics of what his injury is. But do you have that same thought, like on the rare occasions in which we see him? Yes, he, he was... Uh... Terrific. And, and, and back him and Gable together back in NXT and, and moving up where it was wonderful. Um, it's good to see still with the company. And I'm glad they did this. I'm glad they acknowledged this. These are like the little things where it's like, if you've been watching for a long time, we know, like, we got you. Like, we're going to do the little funny thing that you probably wanted to see. And so you appreciate mm-hmm. that as a viewer. But yeah, you think all the time about all the potential Jason Jordan had in the ring and, and how unfortunate it was and how also just how odd it was that they made Jason Jordan his kid and not Chad not Chad Gable uh, as well, especially because Gable was in one of those segments backstage. So, yeah, it was funny. I always thought it would have been funny if they both ended up being his kid and they turned out to be brothers, but they didn't know it the entire time. That to me <laughs> would have been a great conclusion to that yeah. storyline. But I digress. Let's get back to what happened on SmackDown. Uh, Alpha Academy were prevented from joining the party by a bouncer, but the Street Profits slid right in. When Angle entered for a celebration in the main event, Steveson offered to join, but Angle told him, just chill backstage, I'm good, you know, enjoy the party. The Academy entered the ring upset at being barred from Angle's party. Gable talked shit and threatened Angle out of the ring so Otis could eat his cake. Angle returned with Steveson on a milk truck as they started opening single-serve bottles of milk and throwing it at the heels. And in this moment, I'm ready to give the entire thing an ugly because it made zero sense that they were doing that. And the heels are just like standing there, taking it, getting bottles thrown at them. Who would ever do that, right? And then Kurt grabbed the milk hose and sprayed both guys down in a callback. Otis sold it hysterically, as you would expect. And then Angle and Steveson did the milk chug to end the show. So look, this had elements that were entertaining. In totality, though, I just got to say it was bad. Like it felt incredibly repetitive with Angle and Chad Gable again. The milk spot should have gone straight to the hose. Why the heels are standing there letting two dudes slowly throw open bottles, tiny bottles of milk at them didn't make any sense. And while I didn't expect some like monumental segment, I did hope for something a little bit more imaginative than this. Now I'll talk about Steve's in in a moment, but for this, it wasn't ugly. They were, they did save it with the milk hose, but it was bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, indifferent about it because it ultimately was not meant to be a 
important segment. It was mm-hmm. just meant to be kind of fun. And it was kind Sports of Sports entertainment. Yeah. It like like it, so like they went for the comedy, they did the comedy, I got it. My favorite part of this was Otis selling the milk like Shawn Michaels selling for Hulk Hogan. Like he like <laughs> he gets he gets hit with the hose once and he like completely he like falls over like he gets not like he got knocked out or something <laughs> he gets hit in the head with a with a with a carton and he just his selling honestly made the entire thing for me um the only thing was i wish i wish this had been built up where alpha academy had bothered kurt angle all show and then this was the payoff as far as i remember all we got was they weren't allowed into the party and that was basically it well, they were and, pissed and, and, and they and, wanted and, to come out and ruin it because they weren't getting yeah, in. And Otis, they wanted right. Otis to eat the cake and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, it, if if they had been like antagonizing them all, all show multiple segments and then it builds up, I think it just would have been a little bit better. Also, I have to shout out Michael Cole saying this was legend dairy. dairy. <laughs> I popped for, I popped for that. Yeah. So. Look, ultimately, I, I think it was a light good because it, it okay. was just it was what it was supposed to be. It, it wasn't like it's not like Alpha Academy or the the tag champs or they're in this big feud and we get hit with a comedy segment. They're just they're not really doing much. We had a fun little comedy segment. I love Kurt Angle. 2001 Kurt Angle is my favorite wrestler of all time. And always good to see him back. Nice to celebrate him. And ultimately, is this something I'm going to remember? No, but it was fine. It was fun. All right, that's fair enough. Now, as far as Gable Stevenson, who boy, okay. Uh, this guy walks around, Chris, like a total charisma vacuum. I cannot remember a wrestler who looked like they had legitimately zero interest to be on TV or in front of a camera. This Stevenson thing to me seems like a disaster waiting to happen. They keep putting him on TV in these random spots with popular wrestlers, Kurt Angle, the Street Profits, all this but no one cares. And he seems to care even less. His brother, Damon Kemp in NXT, seems to be far more natural at this than he is. And I'm just starting to wonder, at what point does it become like shit or get off the pot with Stevenson? I know he's down in NXT. I know he's training and he's starting to get a little bit better, but this guy seems years away from being ready. And I'm starting to wonder, Maybe they stop trying to make Gable Stevenson happen. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know what it is because he was pretty charismatic at Minnesota. Like, you know, he did extract flips after after winning matches and stuff like that. I I, I I didn't see him in a ton of interviews. I don't so I don't know if he was a great interviewer or whatnot, but he just looks so uncomfortable out there. And that's something you either you have it, you get used to it, or, or you don't. This is a guy. I want to briefly. Like, I want to briefly interrupt you because you just made a great point. It's not yeah. just a lack of charisma. It seems to be a lack of confidence. Yeah, La- confidence, interest. I I don't know. This is a guy who they interest like two right. times at WrestleMania two years ago. They gave him like two standing ovations. He had the night two opening bit with with Triple H this year at WrestleMania. Like they've. Put him on big stages and and I don't I don't know. It, it's just it's been extremely odd that there appears to be no progress here. 
Do you feel like I'm reading it correctly, though? In terms of what, like that they may like not the way I'm the way I am seeing it unfold. Do you feel like the way I'm explaining it is reality? What What do you mean? In terms uh, in of reality, that it seems like he has no charisma. He has no confidence. He doesn't, yeah. isn't interested in being on TV. Uh, I, he's uncomfortable it, it when he's like out there. Yeah, all that. Yeah, that's how it seems to me. I, I'm okay. I'm not there every day at the performance. I don't know how he's performing. No, of but just the, the the few times we've had him here. Uh, he looks extremely uncomfortable and, and not confident. Yeah. I, I just want to be sure I'm not misreading it and projecting what I think is happening onto someone when in reality it's not. Because, I mean, I don't know how you could read it any other way than that. Just the way he looks when he's on TV it just seems like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, who knows? Maybe it's an anxiety thing. Uh, it's, it's very, very tough to figure out right now. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, Gable and Otis ended up on Raw. They were angry about what happened on SmackDown when the OC came through laughing at the video. They were noting that Carl Anderson is in Japan and they love what Angle did um, over on SmackDown to them. Gable called Styles a dinosaur just like Angle, which obviously led to a match. So we got Styles against Gable. Styles got run into the steps outside that gave Gable an early edge. Styles ate a couple German suplexes and escaped an ankle lock. Gable missed a moonsault, which Styles followed with a pinning combination, picked up into a Styles clash for the win. There's really not much to say about this. It was a match with two really good wrestlers. It did fall a little bit below my expectations for what they could actually do together. And again, this was early in the show, right? So WWE is like, hey, let's give them a really good wrestling match early in the show. Styles, who's over, Gable, who can wrestle really well. The crowd's going to get excited for it. And it didn't. This was the moment where I knew we were in for a bad crowd on the night. But I mean, it was good. And I liked the parking lot uh, interaction that preceded it. So that's my take. I like the parking lot interaction. Love these two guys. The match was fine. But it, this was another one of those where I'm just like, AJ Styles, if, if this was AEW, AJ Styles versus Chad Gable would be like a main event of a dynamite or just or it would be just incredibly hyped up and fans would be excited for it and be like, oh man, we're getting these two awesome wrestlers and they're going to put on a great show. And WWE, even under the Triple H era, still is not there yet. It still is a character-driven promotion, which makes sense. It's what they are. Mm -hmm. And, but... AJ Styles has just been floating for a long ass time now. Well, they're like they're he, starting to build him up right now. He's getting some key they, wins. They are. They are. He's yeah. getting these key wins now, but it just I don't know. Like I wanted to be like, oh man, AJ Styles versus Chad Gable, this is gonna be incredible. And it was a good match, but I don't know, it just felt it it felt like some of the, you know, maybe like the the Nakamura AJ stuff where like, eh, maybe it doesn't quite live up to what you had hoped it would be. Um Partially because both of these guys are just maybe or just mid-card guys right now. You know, it's it's not a bigger thing. So it it was good. It was fine. Your point about the crowd, realizing all right, this is not going to be a good crowd was 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 accurate. I think with WWE and AEW, one of the differentials is when there is something on the line and it it is the match between two people, they go all out, especially now and can put on a lauded match, you know, star ratings yep. and grades and all that type of stuff. But on the regular TV matches, when it's just, hey, two guys are fighting and here's a short storyline for why it's happening, they don't go all the way and do that. Whereas with AEW, they'll just book a match with no storyline and say, go all out and just put on a, a crazy yeah. match. And that's a huge differential between because I bet you if this was for the United States Championship or was on a premium live event or whatever, and these guys were given 12, 15, you know, 17 minutes, 
you would have gotten an absolute banger between both of them, even under the WWE banner. It's the circumstances of the wrestling that I think often play into the quality of the match. And that is something that we need to take into consideration when we evaluate things like that. It's just differential between the two companies. It's how they operate. Yep, I agree. Uh, We'll stay with Raw. Uh, Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis were backstage struggling to come up with ideas for how to spend all of the Miz's money. Candice LeRae suggested they not spend it on themselves because they already have enough as it is. So the guys went to the WWE merchandise stand uh, in the concourse and paid for a ton of stuff with Loomis handing a kid a teddy bear as they walked out. They later came out to the crowd and threw gifts to fans all around the ring. Gargano jumped onto the announce table and used a t-shirt launcher when Miz attacked Loomis, pushing him into Gargano and then stealing the money bag. Miz ran away, but Adam Pierce got in his way and demanded he return the money. Miz said he would do whatever it takes to reclaim the money. He needs it. He would even fight if he has to. They talked about, why do you need the money? You're rich. Miz said, basically, Maurice controls all my finances, so I need it. Gargano whispered to Loomis, who agreed to a double or nothing rematch with a ladder match stipulation. So there's going to be two bags of money suspended above the ring. And between Loomis and Miz, whoever climbs the ladder and grabs both of the bags gets to keep the money. Miz said he didn't have the extra uh, money because Maurice controls his finances. Uh, That led, he repeated that a second time. That led to tiny balls chants from the crowd. The first time they got loud the entire show. And Gargano then added a stipulation that Miz had to give out presents as an elf. So we didn't see this on TV and I have no idea why they didn't show it on TV. Uh, But there were photos. Actually, maybe they did show it on TV now that I think about it. But it wasn't video. It was just photos of Miz dressed as an elf handing gifts out to kids in the concourse. This is one of those spots, Chris, where I recognize not everything on WWE TV is made for me because the fans loved this. They actually got loud. Not just the free stuff, which all sports fans like. They actually cheered Gargano and Loomis and were thrilled to vociferously boo Miz. So this is a good on behalf of the WWE fans rather than myself because I didn't think it was bad by any means, but I was just indifferent to the entire thing. There's no question Gargano and Loomis, they are getting a babyface reaction from this, and that's a positive. Yeah, this is similar to the uh, Angle thing, Kurt Angle thing, where it's like, all right, they're, they're just they're just here to basically give stuff to the crowd and get the crowd interested and get the in in arena crowd on their feet and doing some stuff and and they're doing that and so by that stretch it's 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 a good is this all that interesting anymore have has this been has this Loomis Miz whatever been going on for months with the story completely changing multiple times. Yes, but ultimately this is like low card stuff and you know, it makes it's classic baby face stuff. Give the crowd, you know, some gear or whatever. And it's Christmas time. He's handing out money. He's handing out shirts. Sure. Like, it's fine. I give it a good. I just it's not something I think about really when it's over, but it is what it is at this spot. And it's good for what it is. Would we like Johnny Gargano in a bigger spot? Yes, sure. Can the Miz be doing a lot better stuff? Yes, sure. But this is the role they're in, and they are accomplishing that. Over on SmackDown, Legado del Fantasma fought Viking Raiders. Wade Barrett and Zelina Vega had really good time on commentary. Zelina was dressed like Aaliyah. Uh, Seconds after the bell, Hit Row entered with chairs to take out both teams with B-Fab getting up on Valhalla and throwing her into Zelina. Top Dollar then finished 
wild with a fireman's carry slam to end it. It did make sense for Hit Row to be angry at both these teams, but it also flies in the face of what I had accepted about them, which was they're a low card team, so it's okay if they lose matches. So it seemed unnecessary to do this, especially without having the match, like let the match go for four or five minutes and then do it. It was 30 seconds. This was bad. I was a mix between bad, good. I'm right in the border because like it was nice to see Hit Row finally look good. Like they just lose matches. They just get beat up. So like I was cool with them coming back to deliver their own thing. And, and, and Top Dollar got to look pretty strong in, in everything he did. But this got zero crowd reaction from a SmackDown crowd that was actually decent. Yeah, decent. I I, I, I kind of liked it. I, I give it a, a slight good. Not, it's not a major thing, you know, but it, to me it was like, all right, it's good to finally see Hit Row get something. And I, and I was cool with that. I like that we're having some different takes today. You know, a lot of these shows were very aligned on our thoughts yeah. here, even though they're 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 basically uh, gray areas, right? Slightly good or slightly bad <laughs> that we're just slightly disagreeing yeah. on. But at least at least a different. And that's a positive. This Raiders gimmick, though, Chris, it, it's pretty simple on the surface, right? But it's becoming a little confusing to me. Maybe only I am annoyed by this. But when they're cutting promos, they say Valhalla awaits. Then when they make their entrance, they say Valhalla is here. But then Sarah Logan is now named Valhalla. Again, Valhalla is <laughs> a place like heaven. So it feels yeah. like a group that is should be much more knowledgeable than anyone about Viking and Norse stuff and culture is misusing like the base concept. Am I wrong about that? No, I had that same point. I had that same thought where they're saying it's coming versus it's here versus she's named that. So I guess they're saying she is like, coming. Why is she here? named it? I, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Surely you could have come up with some other Norse term to give to Sarah Logan. Just give her another name and, and just anything else. Pick it, any other name. <laughs> yeah. Call her Dewdrop for all yeah. I care at this point. I don't care. Just call her something <laughs> else. <laughs> anything else. I, and then last. I, I do, I, yeah. Yeah. But no, I do like the look. I do like her look, Sarah Logan's look. I do like their general seriousness yeah. on this. I, 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 I am for the first time in a while. I am interested in them. It's their best look since being the War Raiders in NXT. So it's a very positive like direction for them, but there's some frustration there. Uh, and lastly, Chris, Lacey Evans got a second basic training vignette about her embracing the suck and welcoming, welcoming the pain as her mission back continues. I, I think this more serious like and more specific look in the fatigues, it's working for me. But as I said last week, I'm not going to give this a grade. Whether it actually hits, who the hell knows? It's like her fifth different attempt to make a return to WWE. So we'll see. Yeah. And I, and I'm not sure I haven't gotten a vibe yet. If this is supposed to necessarily be a heel or face gimmick. Like, yeah, just like, I'm not sure. I think baby she, face is, would be my guess. So like, they're, they're not like she's defending your country. You know, that she's not do they're not doing that type of stuff. She's just like, she's working hard and she's coming back. So, all right, we'll see what happens when she comes back. Just don't give it's me like simple. seven of these. Right. Just don't give me like seven of these before she comes back. Right, like don't make this like all the way to the Royal Rumble and she returns in the Royal Rumble. She should be back in like two yeah. weeks, is what I would say. One more yes. of these and then yes. she returns and we're good. That's it. All right, Chris. So that was it for the week in WWE, of course, breaking down everything across SmackDown and Raw. Actually, you know what? There is one more thing I'm just remembering before we get oh. out of here. So let me briefly, it's not a good, bad or ugly, but it is something that's worth talking about. A little bit more information came out on William Regal's return to WWE. And also the circumstances of his departure from WWE, his arrival at AEW, and now his departure from AEW. So I'm going to wrap it all up in one little bow. So first, when Regal uh, was fired 
by WWE. AEW's offer came in before he was cleared or he would have been cleared to go appear on their television. So he goes, he asks Vince McMahon, hey, you know what? Can you give me an exception here? Let me start working with them earlier than otherwise. I'm going to be working with Brian Danielson. Obviously, Vince is also very close uh, with Brian as well. So Vince said, okay. He not only let Regal out of his contract, he continued paying him through the end of that period of time. The the It's not a no compete, but that, that 60, 90 day, whatever it is, grace period, he paid Regal through the end of it, despite Regal appearing on AEW television earlier than he otherwise would have been able to. Regal said this himself. Uh, a report then came out that Regal is going to be hired as a WWE executive vice president. That's his new role when he comes back. He's going to start that in the first week of January, so as soon as the calendar turns to 2023. But this also comes after Tony Khan, in a Ring of Honor final battle press call last week, explained that Regal came to him, he wanted to go back to WWE, so Tony let him out of his contract. However, he made him sign a clause that he can't appear on WWE television for an entire year. So basically until the beginning of January, 2024. And I just found this entire situation interesting. Number one, to learn more information about Regal rejoining WWE. That's a huge positive. Obviously, Regal is a bright mind and WWE is lucky to get him back. But also the shocking differential between Vince McMahon, who has been rightly criticized for years about you know his 30, 60, 90 day waiting periods when people get fired, firing people who are on contracts, Tony Khan, who made it a point upon starting AEW, he's not going to do that. And now Tony being the one who's basically holding Regal off of television for a year, where Vince McMahon, the guy who gets criticized all this time, is the one who allowed him to go on TV earlier than his contract would have allowed. I found that dichotomy extremely interesting, but more than anything else, I wanted to point out that Regal uh, will be back with WWE early 2023, according to PW Insider, and do not expect to see him on television basically for a calendar year. That's uh, that's interesting. Um, I, I I hadn't seen that, and whether that so I assume he can't be on TV for a year. Was that was that the length of his contract in AEW essentially? No, like, I think it was a three year deal overall, oh, or okay. it was like a nine month deal with a two year option or something like that. That those details are still murky. Sure, but it was sure. longer. It was, I, I was longer than one year. Out, yeah, I got you. So yeah, I, that's um that's pretty harsh. You know, like when 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 WWE does those again, it's sixty ninety days. So I. You know, I, I did, you know, that's them getting fired more than someone getting let out. But uh, no, that's mm-hmm. a fair criticism to to make, considering the ones WWE rightly gets as well. So just so we're clear, we don't, we don't like yeah, when yeah. any of those happen. Oh, they're all um, oh, all the criticisms of WWE yes. are legitimate, you know, yes. and Vince in, in the past. Totally. So, yeah, so that's interesting. It kind of fits what I thought last week. We probably won't see Regal maybe traveling as much. I, I, I don't know. Guess we'll see what his role is, but um, been a weird couple of months for WWE and AEW with leadership changes, and this is just yet another chapter in that. No doubt about it. So, okay, let's actually conclude the show now. We just wrapped up everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw and the week of WWE in between those shows and past them. I appreciate all of you joining us once again. Please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about 
So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a five-star written review. We will read it live on the show if you do. Do not forget also to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops, analysis, news all week long. And yeah, don't forget to join us this coming Thursday for our next episode covering the latest across AEW, NXT, and I may even drop in some thoughts on ROH Final Battle as well. We have no more premium live events or pay-per-views for the remainder of 2022, but that does not mean that Getting Over is done with special shows. The Getting Over Awards, aka the Beaties, will be back. We will give our year-end awards to the best and worst in professional wrestling in 2022. And as I alluded to on a prior show, Chris and I are potentially working on one additional special episode. Call it a year-end recap. And we do hope to bring that to you before 2022 is out as well. Thank you all once again for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage Christianini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.